0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Sea Change Podcast. I am your host, Jenna Valente, and this is your go-to show to meet the most inspiring people living, working, and recreating along the American shorelines. My guest today is Carmera Thomas Wilhite. Carmera is the Baltimore Program Manager for the Chesapeake Bay Foundation and In addition to that, she is somebody that I deeply admire. She is bright, hardworking, kind. She is a community builder, a change maker, and a role model for many people, including myself. And if for whatever reason, you don't want to take my word for it, one, you will meet her in just a moment and see for yourself, and two, Just Ask the Baltimore Sun, who celebrated her as one of their 25 Women to Watch in 2020, Best in Advocacy, Business, and Health feature that they released at the end of October. Carmira, it is an honor to have you on the show, and thank you for joining me.
1: Jenna, thank you so much. I am just kind of (laughs) blushing over here. (laughs) You can tell. Um, That was a wonderful introduction, and I'm just so inspired by you and all the things um, that you have done because you are an inspiration. And I think we've been watching each other for a while. So this is exciting. Yeah,
0: very, very exciting. And first off, and, and I think most importantly, how are you doing and how are you feeling and how are you taking care of yourselves these days uh, as we find ourselves somehow in the middle of November, even though March feels like it was just yesterday. And we're now in this strange post-election space, and it just feels like a good moment to take a breath and check in with ourselves and each other. So how are you doing?
1: Um, I am okay. I take deep breaths every day. Um, <laughs> it is very. It has been a very difficult few months for me. In March, I kind of thought this was going to be temporary. I think most of us had those thoughts, and then... Um, once we were told we would be working from home throughout the summer, I had to regroup and you know recollect myself because I am really used to being around my coworkers and around people, and it was really difficult for me to be so isolated. Um, and that's just a pandemic, and then being very um, targeted and also just deeply uprooted in my own self-identity, you know, with all of the racial racial awakening and Mm -hmm. reckoning that was happening in this country and at my organization and having, you know, really feeling like I had to deal with that. So I'm doing much better now. I think, um, you know, the results of the election definitely paid. Um, You know, I have to pay some, you know, thanks to that. But also know that there's some serious work to do still with everything going on and how close everything was. So I, that
0: was really I hard for me to drop it. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I feel that. I, I feel like I, I've taken a moment to celebrate the presidential election as a as a win, but mm-hmm. it's like, you know, in that next moment, we, we have so much work to do and, and the work doesn't stop. Um, but hopefully, you know, everybody listening out there if the election went the way that you would like it to, um, which I feel like probably most of my listeners agree. (laughs) Um, (laughs) I hope, Um, you know, I I feel like we can take this as a small, big, I don't know. Like, I feel like I'm even Trump, like, like tripping over my words right now, but Mm -hmm. it's a, it's a moment to celebrate and then we get back to work. Um, Mm -hmm. So what kind of energy is Baltimore in the surrounding area giving off right now. And I I asked yeah. this from a, a, a where I currently reside, which is in Boston. And of course, Boston is known to be, you know, one of the more liberal cities in the country. And mm-hmm. this is a place where people were literally, you know, we were driving around honking our horns and dancing on the sidewalk and in the streets when we heard the election results. And mm-hmm. to be honest, it was it was like the most collective public outpouring of joy that I've seen in a very long time, and particularly since the COVID-19 pandemic hit this area and the country and the world. Um, but I'm curious, because it's easy to be in your own little bubble, mm-hmm. what is the energy like where you are?
1: Yeah, well, if you saw on the news what D.C. looked like after the news, <laughs> um, that was I mean, monumental. There were so many people out there, you know, with pots and pans and in the streets and going to the plaza and, you know, the same way they protested the summer being out in front of the White House and just super excited about the results of the election and, you know, you know, different things. Baltimore was a little bit different. Um, there was a huge uh, local election that also happened at the same time. Um, there is a new mayor in Baltimore that is, you know, very young, energy vibrant. So I think that played a role in just a lot of changes that were happening in the city, including a new city council president. So that um, very positive um, for the most part. Um, I live in a suburb of Baltimore, so I live in Crofton, um, which is predominantly white. So there were some mixed, uh, you know, mixed feelings around here actually, mm-hmm. um, in my neighborhood and, um, you know, still some signs up. And um, it's, it's very interesting to see that, you know, even after the election results. And I haven't really felt that kind of divide in a really long time. Um, so that's interesting. But Baltimore City is definitely excited and re- really re-energized and ready to get started with some new local leaders and also at the national level as well.
0: Yeah, and you know, I've been thinking about the Mid-Atlantic a lot lately. And this is just even aside from everything that's going on in DC, but my um my 5-year anniversary from when I moved away from Annapolis actually was uh at the end of October. So I've been in reflection mode and I feel like there are just so many so many reasons to love that Area and the Mid-Atlantic as a whole, um, but specifically thinking about you know the the outdoors, I think that there are so many great places for people to fall in love and connect with nature there. So everything mm-hmm. from the Eastern Shore to the Chesapeake Bay to the mountains in the western part of the region and everywhere in between. I, I mean, there's just so many awesome opportunities, even right in the cities to see mm-hmm. wildlife and, um, be right on the water in some of the places. And, and so remind me, did you grow up in Maryland and are there particular moments or experiences that stand out as formative for you in your appreciation of the outdoors?
1: Yeah, I grew up in Maryland. Um, I grew up in Glenburnie, but spent most of my summers in Annapolis at, with my grandparents. Um, Both of my parents are from Annapolis, Maryland as well, and my family has, you know, pretty deep roots in in the area, so I just remember growing up being outdoors all the time, whether it was jumping in puddles and, you know, after rainstorms or during rainstorms, (laughs) um, gardening with my grandmother and um, my dad telling me stories about when he was little and he would uh go out fishing and crabbing with some of his friends in this like really old dinghy that had a hole in it and they would go out and <laughs> catch all these crabs and try to sell them downtown and um just being around the water he grew up um on the Severn so he was just really just immersed in the in the outdoors and i think that really rubbed off on myself and my sister as well um and I I went to a few, you know, camps and things like that, but I, I'm telling you, my grandmother's house was our like summer camp. So that was where <laughs> I really um, kind of really sparked the love of outdoors and nature being with her and spending so much time um, in the yard and going, they were 4 each, my grandparents were 4-H leaders, So um, they would take us, you know, to state fair and County fairs and all the fun things that you can imagine, you know, in, a, in Maryland, all of the things that you can do from the water to the mountains to farmland. So I really, um, really know the state really well, surprisingly, because of them and my job. Yeah.
0: <laughs> do you have any pla- like favorite places to spend time outside now in addition to uh, your grandparents' backyard? And, and are there, is there like a reason why that place is, is so near and dear to your heart or so special to you?
1: Yeah, um, I actually love being near water, Um, and this is going to sound so Maryland cliche, but I love Ocean (laughs) City, Um, and I love Ocean City because growing up in elementary school, I you know said I spent a lot of time in my grandmother's house. Um, two doors down was, um, a family friend. My mom grew up with, um, this young woman's mother and we were kind of forced to become friends because we were around the same age. And every summer we went to ocean city and we went to Assateague and we would go see the horses and we would go on nature walks and we would just explore. And I just remember every summer, but right before school started, we would go to ocean city And I love the ocean. I love the smell of salt water. I love seeing all the nature and especially the horses. Um, And it was just, you know, one of those memories I will never forget.
0: So I, I feel that because uh, actually the way that I got my foot into this career path was through an internship, a couple of them that turned into a park ranger position down at Chincoteague National Wildlife Refuge, mm-hmm. which, you know, for listeners, that's the southern portion of Assateague Island. And it is such a special piece of land that, you know, if anyone ever gets the opportunity to go visit, if you haven't yet, it is so serene and mm-hmm. offers just such an incredible array of wildlife if you're a birder that is like the place to go and um you know it's i feel like it's few and far between now where you can go somewhere and see Mm -hmm. wild wild horses and and wild ponies right on the ocean it's it's spectacular um so i i definitely connect with that Mm -hmm. (laughs) um And, you know, one of the central motivations for me in hosting this show is to share how we as conservation professionals or advocates or ocean lovers got to where we are now in hopes that that information will be helpful to any of the listeners out there that Maybe they're interested in embarking on a similar path or learning more about what we do. Mm-hmm. So will you take me and the listeners on a tour of your career path and how you got to where you are now?
1: Sure. Um, so I went to college in nor- rural North Carolina and decided that was not the place for me. Um, <laughs> I studied biology and psychology, and I really thought I was going to go into public health and had wonderful internships at pharmaceutical companies and health departments, but I decided to move back to Maryland because North Carolina was just a slower pace for me. Um, And uh, when I graduated, I didn't know what I was going to do, honestly, with a biology degree. It was so general. Um, But it was the first year in 2010 that the Chesapeake Bay Trust um, created this program called the Chesapeake Conservation Corps, and I applied for it. Um, and I remember going back, uh, to my homecoming in October. Um, so I applied in June, went to the homecoming in October and I got a call that I was accepted into this program and it was amazing. It was a year long program and it's similar to AmeriCorps where you're placed at a host organization and you work for a year and earn a stipend, um, and you're part of a cohort where you're learning professional development and you are going on site visits and really learning about the ins and outs of the environmental and conservation field. Um, and after that year, I was uh, fortunate to get a full-time job after my year service. And I worked at the Chesapeake Bay Foundation for about four years in their restoration department. So I planted a lot of trees around the watershed from Pennsylvania to Maryland. Um did some oyster restoration. Uh, CBF has an organic farm in Upper Marlboro, Claggett Farm. And I worked there, you know, for about four years as a, you know, field worker picking vegetables and produce and also helping with the livestock that are there. Um, And it was such a wonderful experience for me. But towards the end of it, I realized that I had only done that, you know, since I graduated and I wanted to do something different. Um, so I kind of went back to the health um, healthcare field, and I worked at um, LifeBridge Health um, in Baltimore. It is a health system that owns Sinai Hospital, Northwest Hospital um, in the west part of the city of Baltimore. And I was a community outreach coordinator, so I would go out with um, healthcare professionals and talk about preventative care and um, do these health screenings and health fairs and just ways to get out to the community to share the services that the hospital provided. And again, I felt like something was missing. So um, I got into a little bit more of the public health side of things and looked at you know how social and environmental determinants um, really impact people's health. Um, and I really thought about how much I really miss the environmental um, sector and how I could maybe bridge the gap between the healthcare field and environmentalism. So I applied for more jobs thinking, you know, what am I going to do next? I, I only stayed there for about a year and a half and ended up in a shared position with Chesapeake Bay Foundation, an organization called Waterfront Partnership, which started in 2010 as a business improvement district. Um, but they have a healthy harbor initiative that their mission was to make the harbor swimmable and fishable. So that was a really great, position for me because it was working in the city and communities that had already you know, built relationships and connections with, and then working at the Chesapeake Bay Foundation and bringing those two missions together to save the Bay and this local waterway, and also thinking about the people that are living in the city and dealing with so many different pollution issues and healthcare issues. Um, it was something that was really engaging and inspiring for me. Um, But it was a two-year term, and then I returned back to Chesapeake Bay Foundation. So here I am now as a Baltimore program manager, and I work on restoration projects and advocacy and legislation, um, really influencing policy and regulations um, as it pertains to people and equity and equity. also thinking about how in the city, we can connect more people to the environment and to the natural resources. So um, kind of a winding path, but has led me to um, the job that I love and what I'm really passionate about.
0: I just think it's so amazing. Now that we're in a place where we have some more hindsight on, you know, I I hate to say that I feel like I'm, I'm going into like my like, mid-career. I don't hate to say it, but like letting go of my youth is, mm-hmm. <laughs> is like a whole thing. But, um, you know, when you have that space to have a little bit of hindsight where you see these moments where maybe at the time you felt so uncertain and and, you know, maybe you didn't feel like it was quite the right place for you, but all along it was preparing you for this like greater position into the future. I just... I love hearing people's paths just for that exact reason. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I think it's just as important, um, you know, learning about the journey is is so amazing and so important, but we can also get so much insight and growth from our mentors and our support systems and from literature and art and so on and so forth. Mm-hmm. And I'm, I'm wondering who or what comes to mind when you think about, the most influential people or moments or things in your life. So, what is it or who is it that shaped you
1: and motivates you? Oh, wow. Um, a lot of people have motivated me along the way. It's so interesting. Um, I am really motivated by my family. They are always inspiring me. And um, I know I mentioned, you know, my grandparents, they meant so much to me, but my grandfather, I, who I didn't know that well, he was. I was much younger um, when he passed away and I found out later in life kind of his career path and he was into the sciences and he was an extension agent for the University of Maryland and one of the first black men to be a part of that department in Annapolis and in Anne Arundel County and that to me is really inspiring because as a woman of color it really is important for me to kind of leave this legacy, but also push forward for other young women like myself. Um, But uh, Carolyn Finney, she's an author. She and a a kick-ass woman. She definitely (laughs) inspires me. Um, I am so inspired by mentors in this field. Um, You know, there's a great person that leads Blue Water Baltimore that I adore and I'm so inspired by. There are so many women now that are leading in the environmental field that are just really inspiring and strong and really doing great work. And I am inspired by them. Um, I'm inspired by the young people. I mean, I know I say that as an old, like I, I sound so old when I say that. But <laughs> the, the youth, <laughs> the youth. Oh my god, the <laughs> high school students and middle school students now that know so much more than I even thought I knew in middle school and high school and how motivated they are and how just they're motivating because they don't take any mess from anybody else. And they are so um, persistent and they are just really great people. And I know not all of them are like that. You know, there's obviously not my um, not my generation either but <laughs> I really think that you know the youth climate led marches and things like that they are just really inspiring to me because I would have never thought to be in that space um, to speak up about issues like the way that they do
0: yeah I I've definitely thought about that before like when I was in high school I felt like I had this mindset of I'm too young to do anything or like I just focused on my really tiny community in like small town Maine and uh, Mm. you know, like I would watch the news and pay attention to what was going on, but I never really saw myself as an empowered human that could do something about things that that bothered me or things that I didn't Mm -hmm. think were right. And I think that is so just really energizing to see this next generation of people coming up and they are just like on this course to change the world. And I'm, I, you know, I think about like, where would I be if I had started that young? So it's really, really exciting to see and will be exciting to see, um, you know, what they do as they grow.
1: Yeah. I mean, I just think it's really cool that they even use their platforms and using social media. I mean, we didn't really have that as much either. So I really think that they, you know, it's important that they're using that to their advantage. And, you know, I was very similar in high school, like, you know, I didn't know what I wanted to do and where I wanted to be. So um, I was just not on the same, uh, on that same wavelength, but I'm, I'm, I'm excited that I am now and, you know, happy to work alongside them. And I always tell high school students when I, you know, go and speak or anything like that, I'm like, I'm going to work for you guys one day. Like I'm ready to be (laughs) hired at your startups and your organizations (laughs) Um, because they are just uh, so, so wonderful, (laughs) just really energized.
0: Yeah. And, you know, we're probably getting at some of this with this conversation, but, you know, on the flip side of who inspires you, I'm curious to hear, you know, who who are you hoping to influence, inspire, and motivate through your actions and through your career path?
1: Yeah, um, I am really hoping to inspire other young children of color, especially, um, and low income in the environmental space. I think for a while, you know, and the environmental movement seemed so unattainable and so complex, and it seemed like it wasn't for, um, for that audience. And when we think about just environmentalism and in being inspired by nature in general, there are just so many people that are environmentalists and they don't even know it, you know, they can't put that label on it. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think if you care about your lived environment and you care about, you know, where your food is coming from, or you care about the air that you're breathing, all of that, you know, really makes you an environmentalist, you know, and I'm hoping that more people understand that there are so many different career paths and career choices in this field. And it's not just, a one size fit all. And I I really hope that I can encourage someone to pursue a degree in marine biology or, you know, any STEM career so that they can change this world because, you know, we have some really heavy issues that we're dealing with and, you know, environmentalism and social, you know, issues are all con- connected and combined.
0: Yeah, definitely. And, you know, I think that some of it just stems from, it's a mindset and, uh, in being like framing it in a way that I think you said it perfectly that just because we are labeled as career conservation professionals does not mean that we are the only ones on the planet who care about the planet and care for the planet. Mm -hmm. Um, and I feel like there's a whole wide range of people in Baltimore with some really important skill sets and a lot of talent. Um, and, you know, beyond Baltimore, but because we're framing most of this conversation under that umbrella, yeah. you know, I, I think that the work you're doing is just so important to, to connect with people and, and connect them to the resource. And mm-hmm. that takes time and a lot of effort and relationship building.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, but, you know, I think it's that on the ground work that really is going to make like real change.
1: Yeah, it's, it's definitely takes time, um, to build trust and relationships and, but it's, it's so rewarding, you know, once you connect with someone and connect with the community and you know, listen to hear what some of their issues are and, you know, figure out how we can come to a solution together. I think that's the, the biggest motivation, um, you know, for the work that I do. And, you know, I know others do in the city, especially.
0: Mm -hmm. And, you know, Baltimore is just such an amazing city. It's, it's filled Mm -hmm. with this rich history and culture and food and art. And I know that both you and I are familiar with how special the city is. Yeah, I love it. But I'm wondering if you could share what it is that you enjoy the most or a couple things that you enjoy the most about it for people who have yet to visit or are interested in deepening their sense of place through um, hearing about your experience and your perspective.
1: Yeah. Um, Baltimore is a city of pride. The people that are from the city are very proud of where they come from, proud of the high schools that they've gone to, proud of the the sports and the excitement of just the city in general. There are so many creative people in the city. Um, I have seen so many different startups and pop-ups and artists coming together and um, chefs and, you know, cooks and um, small business owners, just all of that combined with the history and the pride of Baltimore makes me love the city so much. And I love going into the city and just walking around and talking to people and hearing about their experiences and, you know, w- where they are coming from and the jobs that they've had. And, you know, Baltimore was such an industrial city. There's so there was such a job market there. And so many people are a part of that history and a part of that legacy of the city. And it just is so inspiring. And there's, so, you know, so many issues too, but, um, all of that is really overlooked when people come together for these you know, events and festivals. And there are so many things that bring people together. Um, I think that's just really inspiring for me. And I love, I love Baltimore. Mm-hmm.
0: It's such a great city. And, and, you know, when we think about getting a sense of place, I, mm-hmm. our global reality now is that, you know, everyone on planet earth is impacted by climate change in one way or another and oftentimes in many different ways and it isn't a far away issue it, it's arrived it's in our backyards our front mm-hmm. yards and the air we breathe and you know the north like both the poles and and in our bodies and and when I say our bodies of course I include mine in that statement but acknowledge the disproportionate impacts that climate change has on low-income communities, BIPOC communities, the elderly, and those with existing health challenges. And, you know, not everybody is equally impacted by climate change, but everyone is experiencing it in varying ways. And since we're focusing in on Baltimore in particular, I'm wondering what are some of the climate or resiliency challenges that are front and center in that area right now?
1: Yeah, uh, Water, storm water, flooding, sanitary sewer overflows, which is a ha- awful topic to even think about, but mm-hmm. it's happening, um, and it is definitely charged by climate change and um, you know resiliency challenges and air quality, you know, because of the legacy of industry there and a major trash incinerator and coal fire plants and a rendering plant and. Um, cars from the highways, and you know, just so many things that are impacting the air quality in the city. And then, um, water I mean, it's a shoreline city, it's a coastal city, um, and it also has so much infrastructure man made infrastructure that really you know, proposes some challenges for where stormwater goes and how it gets absorbed into the ground. And then sometimes it backs up into people's homes. It causes major flooding in the roads. Um, You know, buses have gotten stuck in the middle of roads in in the city. So those are some really big challenges. And and you're right. They're really um, burdening a lot of those communities of color and low income because they have nowhere to go and they don't really have the resources. And for a long time, the city wasn't really that diligent and, you know, didn't hold themselves accountable. So that has been a big challenge um, to kind of overcome some of these issues.
0: Mm-hmm. And, you know, like many cities, Baltimore sits on a body of water, which for those listening that may not be familiar with the area, the area that's the Inner Harbor, which feeds into the Patapsco River and then the Chesapeake Bay and then eventually out into the Atlantic Ocean. And, you know, all of that to say that what happens in Baltimore doesn't stay there. And that's just like everywhere else. Um, but, In this context, I'm really referring to like water quality, air quality, pollution. And, you know, it's just one of the many reasons why the work that you're doing and the Chesapeake Bay Foundation and a lot of the groups in that Chesapeake Bay Mid Atlantic area, what you guys are doing is so important and it's all connected. So, will you share a little bit more about the work that you're doing through the Bay Foundation and some of the initiatives that you're working on to um, keep the Bay? or the Inner Harbor clean and the Bay clean um, and engage people in your work?
1: Yeah, definitely. So the Chesapeake Bay Foundation has been working in Baltimore um, for quite some time. First, it started as an education program. So there's an education vessel or boat that um, was an old work boat and converted into um, this really great, like, traveling classroom that goes out on the Patapsco and – students and teachers and principals and community members go out to learn more about what lives in the Harbor and how, um, you know, things that happen on land impact the water quality and CBF's education department. Um, they just have a a robust curriculum and program and are known around the country and even around the world. So, um, that has where we first got started. And then our Baltimore program started, um, back in like 2000. Twelve or um, thirteen, really focusing on stormwater issues. So um, there were some new permits that were, you know, coming up at the time, and the city was under a modified consent decree or consent decree for their stormwater and sanitary sewer overflows, and they were mandated to make some changes to their infrastructure um, because there was a huge um, sewage backup actually under underground in the city. Um, so that is how CBF got, you know, was involved in the beginning. And that also sparked an interest in connecting with the Waterfront Partnership and the businesses that are around the Inner Harbor to engage them in some restoration activity hands-on that would not only um, share about the Chesapeake Bay and about the Inner Harbor, but also restore some habitat and wildlife um, in the Patapsco River and the Chesapeake Bay. So in 2014, we started an oyster uh, restoration program called the Great Baltimore Oyster Partnership um, that engages the businesses and the public in growing spat on shell or juvenile oysters on recycled shells in cages for about nine months, and then they get transplanted onto a reef that isn't harvested in the Patapsco River. So that has been going on for um, you know quite some time now, and we have over... F- 500 volunteers from the companies and then we have two public locations and we have marinas involved and school students and um the program has just grown so much and that is just a really great hands-on activity um people get a little dirty but they also learn what lives in the harbor and that it's not dead this misconception that it's a dead body of water um and then also seeing how what they're doing on land impacts the oysters and the you know animals that live in the inner harbor. And then CBF um, also worked with a community association to renovate a vacant lot, and that was a really great project that um, brought a lot of different partners together and restored this space in a community that was burdened by pollution issues and crime and stormwater. And this growing green initiative that was um, a grant that CBF applied for and received helped create raised beds and this garden and a walking path and um, we planted native plants and a native rain garden. Um, so all of these places were um, so all of these places were you know renovated and the community uses that space. Um, as kind of a serenity garden and elementary school students come over and they learn more about what's growing there and what food they can grow there. So, um, and we get involved in legislation and policy as well. So at the city council level, and also at the state level to pass a foam ban and single use plastics and, um, you know, issues with, the incinerator where we changed, uh, we influenced some of the regulations at the state level. So many different things. And I know that sounds a lot for one person, but um, <laughs> it's it's really great to have community partners and also organization partners that help to get all of this work done. We couldn't do it without them.
2: The American Shoreline Podcast Network and CoastalNewsToday.com are brought to you by... LJA Engineering, with 28 offices along the Gulf Coast, the folks at LJA Engineering are at the top of the craft in the areas of coastal restoration, coastal infrastructure, rivers and channels, numerical modeling, disaster recovery, and design and construction oversight. Be sure to check out their brand new Coastal Resilience Department, headed up by ASPN's own Peter Rebella. Find them at LJA.com. Coastal Transplants. Coastal Transplants offers high-quality native and wetland plants, extensive agricultural and horticultural experience, and the skilled and respectful crews to get your project built. Make Coastal Transplants your one-stop solution for restoring the dune and wetland ecology of your home or barrier island. Learn more at CoastalTransplants.com. Dune Science Group. Did you know that fiberglass is one of the strongest and most durable building materials in the world? That it is resistant to deterioration caused by UV light and salt water? Well, the Dune Science Group does. They offer a full slate of solutions for dune walkovers and boardwalks that are made of fiberglass and built to last. They handle your dune walkover project from beginning to end, including permitting, design, and construction of the strongest and most durable dune walkover on the market. Learn more at dunesciencegroup.com. And be sure to subscribe to the Coastal News Today Daily Blast newsletter at coastalnewstoday.com for daily updates on the events and news that shape the coastal discussion. Want to support the discussion and promote your company? We have sponsorship packages available now. Email me to learn more at chloe at coastalnewstoday.com. That's chloe at coastalnewstoday.com. Hope to hear from you and enjoy the show.
0: Was Maryland the first state to ban... Foam. I feel like I remember some some articles. Maybe it was like contested between a couple of different states, but I remember that yeah. you all were at like the forefront of that movement, which now many other states have have followed. Yep. yep.
1: Yeah. So Maryland was one of the one of the top three. I think that um, passed that ban, um, and Baltimore City was actually before the state of Maryland, which was. Um, really inspiring. And believe it or not, the, a student group called Be More Beyond Plastic actually helped influence that styrofoam ban. They went to the mayor's office. They talked about how they eat off of foam trays at their school and how they are sick of seeing the trash in the waterways and on the streets. And they were really influential. And even though they're not voting members, you know, they were still at every rally, at every hearing. They were the ones that I think really pulled on the heartstrings of the city council members and the state legislators as well.
0: Yeah, I feel like even if, you know, someone is a, not a voting age yet, it's when you're meeting with decision makers or members of Congress, it's so much of it is can you tell a memorable story or make that connection between the issue and why it matters? And I think that that is spot on is, is having them go in and just be authentic and genuine and talk about how they're impacted by this. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, someday they will be able to vote, but there are so many other ways to be able to influence people between now and then.
1: Mm-hmm. Absolutely.
0: You know, and I think the Chesapeake Bay foundation is one of the reasons why they are such, I feel like they're such an institution in the mid Atlantic and particularly in Maryland is the amount of relationship building and community building volunteer opportunities, education opportunities that you all offer. It's, it's not just you all doing the work. It's you all reaching out a hand and working with people who actually live in the area to get involved, learn about their neighborhood, their community, their state, their region. Um, and, mm-hmm. you know, I think that that is such an impactful model I think you all are just like the most incredible. I have so much respect for the Bay Foundation. I feel like I could go on and on all day about it.
1: Thank thank (laughs) you. Yeah. I mean, for being such a large organization, it's really interesting to me how um, that our model works. You know, we have grassroots coordinators and people that are out in the communities and meeting people and making connections. Um, And then from there, you know, just, many solutions, you know, are, are made. And it just, to me is a really great organization to work for, because it really is valuing community and valuing people. And um, not, not just thinking about the resource, which I think is um, equally as important, but it's so important, because so many people utilize it and use, um, you know, in the watershed, the six states that are part of that. um, There are just so many people that influence it and and rely on the Chesapeake Bay. So it's just really great to hear and to to help people and to be a resource and to also hear what they're going through because, you know, to me that is really important as well. Mm
0: -hmm. Mm -hmm. And um, just as important as that outward community building and relationship building is, I think Something that is really important, too, is doing that inward reflection within your own organization. And while I was prepping for our conversation, I noticed that you're leading a a diversity, equity, inclusion, and justice team at the Bay Foundation. I was just wondering if you could tell me more about that and some of the ways that you work with people to create and foster diversity in the workplace.
1: Yeah. So that staff committee has been brewing for some time i know we've been really trying to get it started for a couple years now um cbf is you know one of many environmental organizations in the region that is working on being more equitable and inclusive and diverse um, in the environmental space and we went through you know many different trainings and many different ideas on how we wanted to you know look internally at some of our work Um, So starting this committee, we actually started during the pandemic, (laughs) surprisingly. Um, We're all virtual meetings, which have been really interesting to lead, but still really engaging and inspiring. And there are about 60 staff. So we have about 200 staff um, at the foundation itself, and um, about 60 of those staff participate in the committee. Um, And we meet monthly, and we first started kind of just going through some community agreements and norms that we would follow and CBF um, worked on a diversity statement um, a year or so ago and that we use as our kind of our guiding light to think about, you know, what changes do we want to make at the organization and externally? So we broke, we looked at that um, statement and there were some directives in that and we formed work groups around hiring recruitment and internships and policy internally, internally and externally communication and culture. Our internal culture is pretty homogenous, um, and unfortunately, you know the organization is about ninety-six percent white. But we're working to change that and really working to reflect the watershed where we are working. Um, and the staff are really engaged in it. Um, and I am the lead of the committee, but the co-chairs of those you know subcommittees and work groups are amazing and they lead their groups and they, you know, meet bi-weekly. Sometimes they've created these strategic goals and action items that we presented to our executive management team and our board. Um, our board has a task force that is focused on diversity, equity, inclusion as well. And they're very supportive. Um, our HR department has a budget that allows us to, you know, do trainings and, um provide different materials and we applied for a grant hopefully we'll get that will help us hire a consultant or maybe even a, a part time person that can help us work through some of the other um hiring kind of recruitment and some of the internal culture. But it is just really great to be a part of it and to lead it, but to be at an organization that values their staff, especially their staff of color and um, because I didn't always feel that at CBF, um, you know, to be completely honest, you know, when Mm -hmm. I first started there, I felt a little bit like an outsider. Um, and I was able to, you know, yeah, I obviously make friends and, you know, work with my coworkers and no one treated me badly, but I did feel like I was, Um, Kind of hiding some parts of myself, you know, when I would go to work and now I don't feel that way. I feel Mm -hmm. like it's welcomed and it's, you know, I feel like it's a much more open environment for um, expression and for me to be, um, to be me, um, which is really helpful. Um, especially because you spend so much time at your workplace.
0: Of course. They're like your work family. <laughs>
1: mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: It's like, you know, in, in times where you go in and you can be together in person, I feel like some of my coworkers are some, become some of my closest friends or know more about me than some of my other friends or family members do. And so I think that is, um, you know, that that is so central to the work environment. It should be feeling comfortable and like mm-hmm. you can be yourself. Yeah. And, you know, with all the the hard work and the valuable work that you're doing, I, I hope that there comes reward and little moments to celebrate. And then like we were talking about at the beginning of the show where you can celebrate and then you go, OK, what's next? And we keep working because the job is never done. But we're always reaching toward or trying to achieve something, um, whatever our project that we're working on is or um, the initiative that we're trying to push forward. And I'm interested to hear a little bit more about like, what would you say is the most rewarding aspect of your work or what brings you the most joy? Oh,
1: wow. Um, I would say working with people. Um, I'm an extrovert for sure. (laughs) And I really thrive and, you know, connecting to people, building relationships, networking. Um, That is something that brings me a lot of joy and working with community members and knowing that they trust and rely on you, and that you're able to, you know, help them or produce a product that they're they've been asking for or help them reach a solution, um, is so. It, it, it like makes my heart burst, you know. It makes me really <laughs> emotional, honestly, um, because there's so many people that, you know, ask organizations for help or there's a student that is asking just for someone to be, you know, can I interview you for this project that I'm doing? And when you say yes, their eyes light up and they're just excited to even, you know, hear from someone in the field or, you know, get to do some oyster restoration and you tell them all about the work that you're doing for the Bay and they are just really inspired. Or you're talking to a community member who just experienced an awful, you know, basement backup and, you connect them to city services and an agency that's able to help them all of those things you know are so rewarding and bring me joy and i realize that's why i get up every morning to do the work that i do it's not for me it's for other people
0: mhm and those human relations can be so energizing and you know getting out there and doing that work can be so energizing and i think that that's been something that's been challenging for me as well is in in normal times when we're able to travel a little more freely is through the Healthy Oceans Coalition, my day job, mm-hmm. we travel a lot to see our partners. We have a lot of one-on-one meet. We go to in-person events. We go to DC to advocate on different issues. And that brings me a sense of accomplishment and um, really keeps me motivated to do the work. And i I feel like in recent months, you know, since March, I, that's something I've been struggling with is feeling like I have a, a sense of purpose. Like I know the yeah. overarching goal is is climate and addressing the many challenges that we're faced with that we need to overcome to to figure out this problem and and create a, a world that's healthy for all of us to live in. Um, but I think that 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 can be really challenging when you take that human connection and relationship building out of the picture for sure. Mm-hmm. And, you know, when we're thinking about challenges though, because um, I don't want to go into like a depression hole, but like, <laughs> <laughs> like, sometimes, you know, the challenges that we face sometimes the biggest and most important lessons can be learned from those like difficult or complex moments in life.
1: Yeah. yeah. Um,
0: so I'm wondering, you know, what are some of those? What are some of those challenging aspects to your role, um, and what are some of the lessons that you've learned from the the tougher times?
1: Yeah, um, there are a lot of challenges. Um, you know, when you're working with a natural resource or people, things don't always go as planned. <laughs> um, I mentioned that I work a lot on legislation and. When you go into a hearing, or you you're waiting for a bill to get passed, and you find out that it doesn't get passed, or that it goes the other way, um, that to me is a is a huge challenge because I you know it makes you feel really defeated. Um, I am challenged by that. I'm also challenged by the enormous amount of issues that are out there. Mm-hmm. Um, you know you can't fix them all and i think it's really important that there are people that work on very specific things and then there's this community that is behind them and there are partners that are working towards you know some of the same goals but in their own way you know each organization that has its mission is very you know focused on that and centralized but um knowing that we're all getting to you know a better environment healthier communities um that it is inspiring, but it also is a challenge because you're working with so many different people. And you also know that you're competing for the same funding and you're, um, you know, the environmental community can be really small. So that's, you know, another challenge, you know, everybody's kind of working on the same thing. So that sometimes, you know, makes me feel a little defeated. Um, especially if things don't go the way that, you know, you want them to. I think everyone kind of feels that way, but it's really even more difficult when you're really passionate about your work.
0: Yeah, it's hard to not take it personally. <laughs>
1: yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, yeah.
0: yeah. So you know, I feel like I feel like I could talk to you for so much longer. I know. I know. <laughs> as we begin to wrap up, what do you want people to know about the power that they have, and the mm. role that they play in fostering healthy communities?
1: Yeah, um, everyone plays a part and has a role, whether it's someone who you know sweeps up the trash in their neighborhood in their alley or goes down to the county council or city council to propose an issue, you know, propose a solution for an issue or is planting trees or you know is reusing you know bags or using reusable bags, everyone has a part to play. Um, and we all have a voice. I think that's so important that you utilize your voice to speak up for the things that you believe in and the things that you value. Um, You know, I think this time in 2020, this time, as I'm learning more about America and our history, there's so much divide. And the more that we work together, um, that's power. We can leverage resources. We can you know, lift up our voices even louder when we all do it together and we work together. And we might not always agree on the same thing, but um, we all have those very similar core values for our family and our communities and our health and our economy. And all of that is impacted by all the work that we're doing, you know, around the country and around the globe.
0: Yeah. And um, how can people follow along and get involved with the work you do? And do you have any future plans that maybe you need volunteers for? I know that it's always so tough with COVID, but, um, (laughs) you know, how can people stay in touch and follow along until we're able to, to meet again in person?
1: Yeah. Well, Chesapeake Bay foundation has a wonderful social media account, Twitter and Instagram. And so many things are shared, funny memes to ways to get involved and information about the Chesapeake Bay. Um, That's always a great place to look and I wish that we could get together in person. Honestly, I just canceled all of my events for November on the uh. weekend because Baltimore <laughs> experienced some more spikes in COVID cases. So we decided yes. to not proceed with them. Um, but once we get back together in person, our oyster gar- gardening program in the city is up and running. People can come volunteer and help clean cages and learn about the wonderful critters that live in the bay and in the inner the, in the, in the harbor around oyster reefs and in the spring hopefully we'll be able to transplant them to the sanctuary reef in the Patapsco River and that includes a boat ride so hopefully when the weather breaks things get a little bit better and we can get back together again in person and do some of those things.
0: Yes, and wear your mask and stay away from each other so that we can get together sooner.
1: That's right.
0: (laughs) So this last series of questions are a little bit broader and something that I ask all of my guests to sort of encapsulate the main takeaways from this conversation, mostly relating to, to climate and conservation. So starting with, what do you think is the most pressing environmental challenge that we're faced with?
1: Climate change. Mm -hmm. That is a huge issue and it it impacts all of us and it will continue to impact all of us. Um, So we need to, it it is real. The science is real and we need to pay attention um, to how it's going to affect us in our own, in our own lives, in our own communities um, and do what we can to reduce some of those impacts.
0: And what are you hopeful for moving forward?
1: Um, I'm hopeful that we will heal and, uh, as a country and begin to recognize that we are people with differing, differing perspectives and opinions, but we all care about similar things and that we can come together um, and there won't be such a divide um, here and, and across the, the globe as well.
0: Mm -hmm. And this last one is a little bit of a two part question that has generally I find that it has a lot of overlap, but what is the best advice that you've ever been given? And then what advice do you have for our listeners?
1: Yeah, the best advice I've all I've been given um, was given to me on my fifth grade graduation from my kindergarten teacher. (laughs) (laughs) And she basically told me that it doesn't matter who's in the room but always speak with confidence and strength um, because someone's always listening. And the advice that I can give to the listeners is to um, be kind and to really think about what you love and pursue that as your career.
0: Well, Carmara, thank you again so much for joining me today. You are just such a joy to talk to, such a wonderful person, and you are welcome to join me on this show anytime. I would love to have you back, and I look forward to following along with all of the work that you're doing.
1: Thank you so much. I, I am just thankful for this opportunity, and it was so great to talk to you and have this conversation because it's really inspiring, and I know that everyone out there is just looking for some hope right now and um, I'm really glad that I could be a part of this
0: and I'd also like to thank the listeners Um, so if you liked what you heard and want to hear more of this show or explore other shows on the network you can find the American Shoreline podcast network wherever you listen to podcasts subscribes rates and reviews are appreciated and welcome and if you'd like to connect with us on social media we are at coastal news 365 on instagram and twitter and the american shoreline podcast network on facebook you can you can connect with me personally on instagram i'm at jenna valente and on twitter i am at jenna benna so find us online and let's chat about our beautiful coastlines